Tuesday, September 18th, 2023 from Peachfish Productions. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton, who had an affair and members of his staff go to authorities with evidence of kickbacks, had a businessman provide home furnishings, had the same businessman hire a mistress, was acquitted by the Texas Senate over the weekend. Why lawyering like this? With respect to that legacy, his milk carton has expired. It's over. When he gets up there and looks you in a straight face and says it's a crime to investigate whether or not something is a crime, come on. We were born at night, but not last night. That is dumber than a bucket of hair. The context for those statements by Dan Cogdell in the defense of Ken Paxton matter a little bit. What matters just as much was that Cogdell's a really good lawyer, or at least a really interesting lawyer, kind of a fun lawyer. He was played by Giovanni Ribisi in the Showtime David Koresh series. Another fun lawyer was Paxton defense lawyer Tony Busby, who dispatched with usually credible witnesses, like a Texas Ranger who he subjected to dismissals like this. You have a guy six foot six, wears a hat, cloaked with the authority of the state. I know I'm not really getting to the nuts and bolts of the case, but trust me, the defense didn't either. And that was fine with all but two of the 19 Republican senators in the Texas Senate. One of the main theories of the defense's case was that Dade Phelan, Speaker of the Texas House, which was the body to impeach Paxton, was drunk. Dade Phelan got his feelings hurt. He was so drunk, so drunk handling the house business, knowing full well that they had no evidence to support an impeachment and they hadn't done their homework. When Ken Paxton says, hey man, you embarrassed the devil out of yourself, you should resign, they sped up the process and impeached this man. Wait, that's the explanation for all of this? Why did this happen? I'll tell you why. On May 19th, 2023, Speaker Dade Phelan was so drunk while running house business, he could barely even hold the gavel. All of that, the entire evidence of Dade Phelan being drunk was a 43-second clip, which right afterwards, he did slur his words in the clip, and then right afterwards he didn't. We should also note that Phelan is also a Republican, just not a Ken Paxton, Trumpian-type Republican. Also, that 43 seconds or however much slurring that occurred, it had nothing to do with the impeachment other than good lawyering or relying on more circumstantial evidence than the killer smoking gun explicit quid pro quo evidence. Other than that, Paxton was acquitted because of political calculation and an accurate political calculation. The Republicans in the Senate, including Ken Paxton's wife, by the way, saw that a majority of their constituents would punish them if they convicted Paxton, so they didn't. The lawyering helped them to get to acquittal, but they wanted to go there anyway. The mention you heard in the first clip of legacy, which was invoked by both the defense and the House managers, served to underscore that ex-senators have legacies, current senators have power and offices and salaries and respect, or whatever respect is left in a Texas state house after the battle lines have been drawn and crossed. Paxson, in a statement afterwards, said, quote, The sham impeachment coordinated by the Biden administration with liberal House Speaker Dade Phelan and his kangaroo court has cost taxpayers millions of dollars, disrupted the work of the Office of Attorney General, 
and left a dark and permanent stain on the Texas House. Paxton still faces a felony fraud case and an FBI investigation. On the show today, it's a full show given over to Spencer Cox, the governor of the state of Utah. He's chair of the National Governors Association. Cox has been fighting hyperpartisanship and polarization in Utah for years, and he now takes his efforts national. He has launched a new initiative called Disagree Better. I disagree. No, actually, I don't. And that makes me better. To talk to us more about the initiative and his time in office, Governor Spencer Cox up next. This episode is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. You've heard me talk about The Jordan Harbinger Show because it's one of my favorites. He does in-depth interviews with some of the world's most fascinating minds. I can name a few. Barbara Boxer, Anderson Cooper, Michael McFall, the Ukraine or Russia ambassador talking about Ukraine. One I recently listened to was Stanley McChrystal, the general, the former general. And he told uh, an interesting story about revering Robert E. Lee. But then, after having a portrait of him for 40 years, he's a 63-year-old man throwing it in the trash. Because his wife says, you know, what that picture and that man means to you, it doesn't mean to other people, and you have to understand that. And then in the interview, they got around to the point where McChrystal talked about that interview in Rolling Stone magazine that pretty much ended his career, where uh, it got to the desk of Barack Obama, and it had McChrystal saying unflattering things about the war effort and just how he talked to his wife and how they decided not to be bitter and not to wallow in. He could have taken some shots at the process, the reporter or the president at that point, but he didn't. It was just an overall good interview. It was facilitated by Jordan's excellent interview style. Whether Jordan is conducting an interview or giving advice to a listener, you will find something useful that can apply to your own life in every single episode of The Jordan Harbinger Show. That could mean learning how to ask for advice the right way or discovering a little mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R, like the first three letters in hard, B-I-N-G-E, as in how you'll want to catch up on all the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Spencer Cox is the 18th governor of Utah. He's also one of the most prominent politicians trying to tamp down polarization. A couple of years ago, we had Rob Willer of Stanford on the show, and he had a lab that ran experiments called the Strengthening Democracy Challenge. He took 250 submissions, and the best or the best on a couple of different metrics was a video made by Governor Cox and his Democratic opponent, about comedy, civility, and shared humanity. I'm Spencer Cox, your Republican candidate for Utah governor. And I'm Chris Peterson, your Democratic candidate for governor. We are currently in the final days of campaigning against each other. But our common values transcend our political differences, and the strength of our nation rests on our ability to see that. Cox is now chairman of the National Governors Association, and he announced an initiative called Disagree Better, I agreed to have him on my show, or maybe it was the other way around. Welcome to The Gist. Thanks, Mike. It's great to be with you. So other than, and this is a big deal, just putting it on people's radar and saying that it's a virtue and a value to disagree better, what are the actual steps, tricks, techniques that 
people who may be part of the NGA or anyone governed by members of the NGA, what can they actually employ? Well, there's lots of different things we can do. And by the way, we are using the best science behind this. You've talked about some of that. Uh, we've met with uh, with the policy labs at Stanford and Duke and Dartmouth who are doing this work and 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 truly believe that the science behind it is real and, and that it can make a difference. Uh, Governor Polis of Colorado, who's my vice chair, and I, uh, we, we've talked about these issues as well. And there are certain things that we, we can actually do. Um, w- one of them, of course, is uh, spending less time on social media and more time face-to-face with people who are different different than us, who disagree with us, uh, to give, give us an opportunity to actually practice this. Family members are a great way to do it. Your, uh, you know, your MAGA uncle or your woke niece having an opportunity uh, to, uh, to engage with them. Um, w- one, of the, uh, w- one of the real practical tips that, that uh, we've been taught and, and that we teach other people is, is a very simple question. And, and the question is, tell me more. Um, so when, when you're having a, a discussion and and you it's it's a it's it, there's a little tension uh, you really disagree with the person you want to fight back uh, the, the first thing you should do is just say hey tell me more about why you believe what you believe and and you actually keep asking that until you get to the to the root of it and, and what you will generally find out is at, at the core of whatever the the person you disagree with um it, the, their argument is is something that you actually do agree with it's uh you know i i care about my country or i care about my family or i care about my my religion and and then you can start kind of rebuilding that relationship um, from from the core of that the, the other thing that's really interesting is by asking that that question that curiosity tell me more really trying to understand where the other person is coming from it takes some of the, the attention out of the room and, and almost always that person will be more willing to listen to your reasoning, um, to listen to you. And, and then you have a chance to persuade. Uh, sadly, uh, as a country, we've really gotten away from persuasion, uh, especially our, our political leaders. And we just started focusing on, on owning the other side or tearing the other side down. Um, the, the second thing that I think is really important in, in this, this practical approach is that it allows us to overcome the perception gap that, that exists. It's not what Republicans and Democrats believe. It's what Republicans think Democrats believe and what Democrats think Republicans believe. Um, and, and that gap is much narrower than uh, than, than we, we think. The, the problem is that every Democrat out there thinks that all Republicans are like, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene. And, and every Republican thinks that Democrats are all like AOC. And, and it turns out that's not the case. There are extremes in both party. Uh, according to the latest data that we got just last week from, from Dartmouth, it's about 6% of Democrats and about 8% of Republicans that represent those far extremes, but they get the most attention. And so we just assume that when we're engaging with someone from the other side, they're either that 6% or that 8%. Turns out that's not the case. And so um, if we can, if, again, if we can learn to disagree in a healthier manner, we can actually start to solve some of the biggest problems facing our country. Yes. And Dem- and there's even some statistically unbelievable things that people believe that just can't be true. Like Democrats believe something like 20 or 30% of Republicans are in the top 1%. It's mathematically impossible. Exactly. Yeah. And Republicans believe that some gigantic number of Democrats are on welfare. So the perceptions are there. Do you think you come to this by temperament, by upbringing, by instinct? Did you have to be convinced to favor uh, these policies? 
Yeah, it, it's, it's something I had to be convinced of. Um, and, and I can tell you the natural me is uh, I, I'm, a, I, I'm an attorney. I'm a trial attorney. That's, that's what, what I went to school to do. I, I left the practice of law to, to run a business. But the, the, the natural me is to fight and to punch back and to tear people down and, and to win. Um, I constantly have to be reminded of this. Uh, my, my staff constantly reminds me of this. I fail sometimes. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's very easy and natural. And I think that's, that's true of all of us, by the way. Um, I, I love looking at, at, at kind of the founders of, of our country. Uh, there, there's some great quotes out there by uh, by John Adams when he talks about kind of the natural political instincts of, of human beings, and that we are uh, if we don't practice like temperament and patience and humility, that we are all politically ravenous beasts of prey. That's kind of his his uh, his idea, and, and and I think it's true of most of us. And so they built these institutions to try to hold back those worst instincts. Um, sadly, we have new institutions that have kind of unleashed those on a bigger scale, uh, social media uh, um, and, and, and others. And so I, I, it's, it's something I really have to work on. And uh, I'm grateful for people who helped me to work on that. Yeah. Now, of course, John Adams also said that politics was just organized systemic hatred. So it wasn't that he was always appealing to the better nature of our angels, or maybe he was aware of it. But I want to ask you, have you ever used the tell me more technique such that whatever they told you actually wound up changing your mind? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, and I, I think I've changed some people's minds too by, by using that, that technique. And uh, there's, there's lots of, I, I'm trying to think of some right, right off the top of the bat. Where, because I'm thinking where if your constituents vote for you, he has these policies, he, oh, okay, seems like a nice guy. We'd rather have a nice guy who advances the policies that we want. Okay, he, he talks about, tell me more. And now all of a sudden he doesn't believe in the policies he ran on. Is that a good brand for a politician? Yeah, no. Look, I, again, that's that's part of the problem, right? It's it's kind of this all or nothing mentality. We've we've had several uh, instances over the over the past couple of years here in the state of Utah where I've been able to engage on on big issues that I think are really important, like water conservation, something that's been been facing the state of Utah, and, and listening to people who are arguing that we need significantly more of it than we've been doing, and and sitting down and trying to understand the science behind it, um, trying to put aside kind of my own biases to to get to the the very best policy. Um, I, I can tell you one very controversial one that we had just just recently in, in our state. It was around uh, transgender health care for minors. Right? We, we passed a, a, a comprehensive bill in the state of Utah to prohibit the uh, the the uh, w w what what we feel is uh, medically unnecessary and very dangerous. Some of the things that we've been doing to to our minors uh, before their brains are fully developed, and uh, they're obviously the LGBTQ community was very upset about that. But uh, prior to going into that. That legislative session, I invited transgender youth and their parents over to the uh, governor's mansion with uh, with leadership from our, our House and Senate, as well as the person who was going to be running this bill. Um, and, and we had some, I, I think, very powerful conversations. And I think seeing real people and listening to real people, it, it changed the tone. We, we did pass the bill. Um, there were a couple changes that were made to the bill that I think would not have happened if we hadn't had those conversations. For example, we set a, aside a million dollars to help these young people who would not be getting the um, the, the 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 medications that that they could get in other states, uh, you know, to to help them transition puberty blockers and things that we feel are dangerous. We did set aside a million dollars to to help them get uh, get therapy.
therapy uh, to help them get um, professional counseling uh, and to support some organizations in our state that that do that. So so I think that's one instance where, again, we stood by the policy because I, I believe in the policy. It was a controversial policy, but we, we did some other things that I think would not have happened if we weren't more open to having these really important conversations. Okay. Uh, I read your signing statements on that. I've heard you talk about this. I also read a column by Michael Hiltzik in the LA Times, and this is a columnist who applauded you when you vetoed a bill disallowing trans participation in youth sports. And as you rightly said, and got a lot of plaudits for it, I think there were four transgender kids in Utah at the at that time and let us not discriminate against them. But then I'm sure you read the column. He called you a hypocrite. He said that you've signed the harshest anti-trans bill in the country. Um, he you know, the headline was that Governor Cox vetoed an anti-trans bill out of, quote, compassion, then signed a worse one. And so my point is not to get into the back and forth, but if you believe what Hiltzik does, what others do, that this is just an egregious uh, step against the rights of trans people, what is the role of comedy and getting along and being nice about it when the stakes are as high as they perceive them to be? Well, sure. And let me be clear about a couple things. So, so, so first of all, again, I, I think the um, I, I know you don't don't want to get into the back and forth, and and I won't. But it, the the reasons we did it really matter, and, and I think the science behind it really matters. And uh, I think he's he's just wrong, and and that's okay. Again, this is this is the piece of disagreeing though uh, that that is is so important, and that is that we can disagree without hating each other. We can disagree without without tearing each other down. We can attack ideas and not people. And see, the, the problem here is this this attack. On, on, on me, for example, on this issue, that uh, that that the only reason I could ever sign a bill like that is because I'm a bigot and I hate trans people. Okay, mm-hmm. see, that's 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 the problem, the very problem with the arguments that we're having today. That that is absolutely not true because because it, I, I know it's not true in my case. I I, I love our, our transgender youth in our state. I care deeply about them, and and I feel strongly that what we are are doing to them and, and what is happening here is is making life worse for them. And I believe I have the science to back that up and and to prove it. Um, and so instead of attacking it, intentions, let's have the argument about the science. And, and about about why we're doing what we're doing. Um, this this wasn't the, the 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 worst law or the strictest law. There are 17 others that that I, I would say are harsher than the law that we passed here in Utah. But that's what we've that's what we've come down to as a society. If you disagree with me, then it must be because you're a, a racist or or because you're a bigot or because you 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 know you absolutely hate the other side. And there's no room for nuance in those discussions. There's also no room for changing anybody's mind because uh, if he thinks that calling me a bigot is going to change my mind. Um, I, I've, I've just never seen that work. Mm-hmm. It, it, it doesn't happen. It's, yeah. it's not effective. So if I was in the Utah legislature, which could never happen, I would definitely vote against that bill. And I'd also uh, enjoy whatever kind of discussions that you and I and people who believe in disagreeing better would have. But so I just want to say that now Hiltzik writes, and I'm not picking on Hiltzik, Uh, This is very typical of this conversation. He writes, Republicans have been trying to roll back anti-discrimination protections for LGBTQ people, but they've especially targeted the transgender community. The reason isn't hard to discern. In their crass and cruel quest for targets to unite their base against, they had run out of acceptable candidates for discrimination and abuse. And I would say, 
uh, going by what you preach and what you talk about. What he's done is he's impugned your intention. He explained what your motivation was. And I think that almost never works. Now, I don't think his point and the point of those who would uh, oppose the bill, as I would have, is to do anything other than to you know heap scorn upon the bill. But I think it almost always fails when you try to talk about and guess the intention of someone else. How could you not you Governor Cox, not be offended by those words. Sure, and, and and Mike, that's you're you're making my my point for for me. You're absolutely right. By imputing the intentions of somebody, it, it always backfires. Um, it just hardens the person in their their position because you know I, I am deeply offended because it's not true, and, uh, and and that makes me want to push back even even harder, right? And so I, I think that's a huge mistake that we make. I, and I I will also say that the other problem with his entire thesis is that that same legislature uh, passed a a, a conversion therapy ban unanimously, um, a, a very conservative legislature. At the same time they signed this other bill, they, they passed a conversion therapy ban um, in, in support of the LGBTQ community. That, now that got almost no attention, right? He obviously doesn't write about it because it would undermine his, his in, entire thesis that these are just a bunch of terrible, bigoted, awful people who want to do harm. Um, now, there probably are people who are terrible, awful people who want to do harm that, that may have come to the same conclusion. Um, I think they're very, very few and and far between uh but uh but but so i i understand that but but his approach doesn't help his own cause and that's what when, when i hear this and i hear it often from the left um how can you disagree better with people who want to end your very existence right um i that's that's kind of i think what 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 we're getting at here and and, and the the, I, I think the, the counter argument is, well, because um, hating those people doesn't doesn't help your cause at all. In, in fact, it, it makes it actually worse. And there are better ways to engage without impugning the integrity um, or the intentions of the people that you're arguing with. One more question. I'm going to get back to the process. But on this bill, I've said this on my show. First of all, I know all about the Tavistock Clinic. I know about Finland's um, requirements, Sweden's requirements. I think that the United States Medical Association would be better to adopt those requirements. So I'll put that out there. However, in the history of the interplay between legislators and medicine, I could think of no other example where elected officials got the medicine more correct than doctors did. Sure, there were many medical procedures which have eventually been banned, but they were largely discredited by the medical community beforehand. Can you think of another case where elected officials, state officials banned a procedure that doctors said was a, that the vast majority of the medical community say was an acceptable procedure and the legislators were right? Well, that, that's a that's a fair question, and uh, I, I can tell you, I'm I'm not uh, I I don't know that I can answer it. I can't right off the top of my head in this very moment. I would probably have to do a, a little research. There there are lots of uh, lots of times when doctors have been wrong over time, and and I think uh, I think I could probably point some of those out. I don't know. Maybe it has to do with the, with eggs and uh, and and uh, how terrible eggs are for you. I, you know, maybe I, I'm sure some legislators uh, said that's dumb, and we need to protect 
protect the poultry industry and they got that wrong. I don't, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just spitballing here a little bit, but I, I do think it is important. Those other things that you did mention. Um, and, and that's where I went. I, I, abs- I actually believe that, uh, that here in the United States, this issue is so polarizing and, uh, including among doctors, I had lots of doctors reach out to me and say, Hey, we, we don't feel comfortable with what's happening out there, but we also don't feel like we can speak up because, uh, because we, we feel like the, the, the associations, the medical associations and the medical establishment, um, will, will push back too hard on us and we'll get canceled. And so we, we kind of, we just don't feel comfortable. We think we are actually doing harm here. So I did go to Europe to look at those other countries that you, you literally mentioned. traveled to the I, countries. I, you didn't I, just I was over there last year, but, but looked at the studies when, and what was happening over there, uh, to try to get a little more unbiased perspective, uh, looked at you know, all, all of the, the treatment that's happening in the United States was based on a, a Dutch study many years ago. Um, that, that really doesn't match up to what we're seeing now. And, and the explosion that we're seeing in this space, uh, is really difficult for people to explain. And so the, one of the other changes we made is we pushed pause. This wasn't, uh, this wasn't a, a, a prohibitive ban forever. It was, we're pushing pause until we can get some more data and more information. That was one of the changes that came out of the meeting that, that again, disagreeing better, where we got together and met with, with advocates from the other side. Uh, that, that was one of the changes that was made to the bill. And so, so, so again, I think there is a better way to do this. And we'll be back in a minute with more of Utah Governor Spencer Cox. We're back now with Spencer Cox, governor of Utah, chair of the National Governors Association. And I'm going to move on more onto what the project, the Disagree Better project is all about. And first of all, it is in my sweet spot. I talk about these kind of initiatives a lot. I subscribe to a somewhat wonky, but I find very informative newsletter called Beyond Intractability. I don't know if you know that one. I do, yes, yes. Yes, it's a good one. They're always mentioning you. So I'm glad you're very, very glad you're doing it. My questions are more about the replicability of your approach in other states, countries, political contexts. So I have three thoughts about this. One is that politics in Utah is so Republican dominated that you can very much afford to be maximally magnanimous because there's really no chance of Democrats ever getting your way. You could argue that your opponent, your Democratic opponent in that governor's race, Chris Peterson, his top achievement was being invited to do that video. So what about that, that you are in a different position than many uh, state legislatures or governors where it really is rough and tumble? Well, well, look. Um, I think if if you're going to make that argument, let's assume it's true. Um, I, I'll I'll push back in a second, but let's assume it's true. Then then that's true of a lot of states. Uh, I, I mean, there there are you know we we are very polarized based on state now. There there are a lot of very red states and a very uh, a lot of very blue states. So if if I can do it in Utah based on that assumption, then we should be able to do it in in a lot of different states. And and, and again again making the argument that that Congress is so gerrymandered now that we don't have many congressional seats that are. Are, are really in play anymore, then shouldn't more members of Congress be able to do this if, if we're assuming that's that's true? Um, now, I, I will say, again, I, I disagreeing better isn't just disagreeing between Republicans and Democrats. Um, I, I think the divide on the right and the divide on the left are, are almost as, uh, as, as strong as, as, as the divide 
divide between the right and the left. Uh, and so I, I think that these uh, th- that the things we're talking about here are, are really important no matter where you are. And, and again, I, I'm trying to make the argument that this isn't just good for the country, although I think it is. Um, and, and I would go so far as to say that the direction we're headed on um, is unsustainable and will only lead to something very, very dark. Um, and I'm talking like 1850s and 1860s dark. Uh, if we don't get if, if we don't stop hating each other as, as a country. And so I think that the, this is an existential crisis um, and that we 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 should be doing this because it's the right thing to do. But I, I actually believe that it's it's also um, politically viable uh, that uh, that this is what uh, there is a majority of the country that is hungry for for this. Um, we're just not giving them any other options. And, and again, as we look at the data there is an exhausted majority out there that hate the the, uh, the 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 polarization that we're seeing in our country right now, and 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 want something different. Um, it, it's amazing to me that uh, saw some some numbers uh, a month ago. Seventy percent of Republicans don't want Donald Trump to run for office. Seventy five percent of Democrats don't want Joe Biden to run for office. Uh, it, it, people are dying for another option. And, and I believe that it, candidates who will kind of adopt this framework will, will actually do better in their in their own races and in their own states, even in very purple states where uh, where it is rough and tumble. So you're right. This is not just about left and right. But on the replicability question, I think about Utah. Utah is the state, I think it's the state that most exemplifies shared values. It's a largely homogenous state, of the, my statistic might be a little off. You might correct me, but there are 104 seats in your state legislature, and I think 89 or 90 are filled by members of the LDS church. The state's 60% LDS. So the point is that Utah almost has an unfair advantage, the advantage that highly functional democracies like New Zealand or Scandinavia or uh, Uruguay and South America, they're small, they're homogenous, and the people there have no reason to suspect the motives of their rivals, which is what we're talking about. Their rivals aren't their mortal enemies. The stakes aren't something like, we think this one other group will vanquish us. It's just not the case in Utah, but it is the case in very much, uh, it's very much the case in the rest of the country. What do you think about that? Well, look, there, there, clearly Utah has some advantages uh, when, it, when it comes to this issue. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not going to try to eschew any of those. Although I will say, you know, I, I hear all the time, well, you're the whitest state in the nation. We're not. We're, we're like 17th. Uh, we're, you know, we, we are changing very rapidly. Uh, we, we're the fastest growing state in the nation over the past 10 years. And that growth has been external. So these are people coming in who, uh, who are not from the state, who, who maybe don't have some of those shared values. And, uh, and so we, it, it, it is, I, I don't think it's as easy uh, a cakewalk as 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 most people would assume from the outside. Um, certainly, we have our detractors, and uh, and we get a tremendous amount of pushback here as well. Um, one of the reasons I care so much about this initiative is because I want Utah to stay that way. I want some of those values that I think transcend any religion or any any race. Um, I think they're shared values from throughout history, throughout American history. Um, I, th- I think if you look to some of our past leaders, again the, the founding fathers, Abraham Lincoln, uh, these are the things that he lived and talked about. I, I made my uh, I, I made my entire cabinet uh, read uh, Team of Rivals because uh, because I believe in in that 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 
Lincoln style of governing and bringing people together. Um, and so I, I don't think that this is an issue that transcends that. My, my question to you is, and my question to your listeners is, why is it that we believe that there's one other group out there that is going to end us and destroy us and tear us apart? And and, and I believe it's because um, our, our political leaders, by and large, have figured out how to really monopolize on that fear uh, to divide us for their own benefit. And so uh, if, if we can, this is why this initiative is so important. It, and, and again, according to Stanford, they're telling us if you can get people in, in high political office who disagree with each other to come together. So not just me and my opponent, uh, the Democrat who, who may or may not have an opportunity to get elected in the state, but myself and Governor Jared Polis. Uh, where we can get in on a podcast or on stage or in an ad together, which we filmed one together, showing that we can disagree without hating each other. That actually goes a long ways to uh, to clearing up that perception gap that we talked about. The, the danger with that perception gap is when you think the other side is crazy and willing to uh, violate democratic norms, then you are willing to do that on your side as well. If, if you're saying, okay, I know that those crazy Democrats don't care about the constitution, so why should I care about the constitution? I'm willing to tear things down just to hold them off. It feels like I have to fight fire with fire. That's the danger that we're facing. And and look, the, the only logical end to this is uh, people shooting each other. And so we, we, we have to stop the the insanity. And uh, we're trying to provide um, some political cover for people to try a different, a different, uh, a different way. When you assign team of rivals to an actual cabinet, does everyone in the cabinet see themselves as Stanton and none as Chase? I, I think that's definitely the case. Yeah. They're, they're all asking themselves, wait, is it I, you know, where, where do I fit in this book? <laughs> yeah. You got a bunch of William Stewart. Stewart. <laughs> so the last replicability question is that I've read a little bit about your political rise, and it seemed like none of the tactics of polarization helped you. You talked about how perhaps temperamentally you're a fighter, but you didn't try to divide your constituency, and then you were somewhat surprisingly tapped for lieutenant governor. But there are many people who are in their positions because polarization works for them. Many people in our House of Representatives, many governors, I live in New York, I don't think that being uh, bare, brass knuckled and sharp elbowed hurt Andrew Cuomo, for instance, in his rise. So I believe- But it probably helped in his fall. It did. But I believe in rational self-interest. And can you really make the case to the vast majority of other elected officials who might owe their position to the fact that they're Tea Party favorites or that they're justice Democrat all-stars? Can you make the case to them to disagree better and give up some of the more, more polarizing aspects of their uh, min or policy positions? Well, look, I'm, I'm certainly going to try. And uh, I, I, I'm not here to say that I, I, I can change the world or that, that a few governors can change uh, the you know decades of, of polarization that's happening in our country. But, but I do think there are some, uh, some, some kind of evidences out there that the pendulum is starting to swing back a little bit. Um, I, I think you saw it in, in, some of the, uh, in some of the races that were out there uh, this, this past midterm. I think you saw it in Georgia uh, with, with my, my good friend, uh, Brian Kemp. I, I think you saw it in Arizona, where uh, where Republicans should have performed much better, but we uh, we put the most polarizing figures up there, and they were very unsuccessful. And so I think there are opportunities for us to point out where it it is not working, where it is it is leading. 
leading to actual political losses. And, and look, most politicians that I talk to, even if they feel like they have to do this, they don't like it. It's it's not it's not what they would prefer to do. Uh, they're they're tired of it. Even if it got them there, um, eventually eventually they the the they come for you too. Um, you can never be extreme enough. You can never be uh, you, you know loud enough. But but what, one of the things I just have to point out, Mike, is that this is not another civility initiative. It is not just about being nice to each other and getting along. It really is about disagreeing. And it is about straight, staying true to, to our core beliefs and our core values. But but again, doing that in a way that doesn't tear other people down, um, doing it in a way that attacks ideas and, and not people. And, and, and again, doing it in a way that doesn't question um, every time the uh, the intentions of, of the other person or the other party that, that again leads us to that you can't you can't play with matches all day and then be surprised when when there's a giant fire and that's what we're doing so here's my last question then i'll let you go govern um i think this is right your first veto was of a bill that was sponsored by a senator named mike mckell and mike mckell is your brother-in-law that is correct yes okay the question is does the fact that it's a family member who you veto make it more polarizing and rough around the edges or does it tamp down some of the hard feelings uh it makes it more fun <laughs> uh, there is no question about it it was it was so much more fun i hope mike is listening to this uh this podcast uh if not i'm going to send it to him and make sure that he does no it, it look it was uh it it made it uh, i i think a little less polarizing um just uh, because people understand that uh, you know i'm i have a job to do and i'm going to do that job whether you're related to me or not um that's uh that's that's part of being a, a good governor and uh, i felt like that that was a bad bill for our state and uh, and so uh, and so i vetoed it but but look, um, where it does play out, I, I can say this, is that I veto very few bills. Uh, and that's because I work very closely with my legislature. Um, I, work, I work hard to have relationships with them. I work hard so that we can work on these things before we get to, to the point where I have to veto something. And uh, because of those relationships and because I'm not out there just trying to attack them or own them or throw them under the bus at, at every turn, uh, they're much more likely when I say, hey, when I give them a call and say, hey, I have a real problem with your bill, um, could you make a couple changes and, and maybe we can get there and and uh, and then we get to better policy for the state and I don't have to veto their bill. Spencer Cox is the governor of Utah, now chairman of the National Governors Association, where he has an initiative called Disagree Better, which we've been talking about. Thank you so much, Governor. Thanks, Mike. That's it for today's show. The gist is produced by Corey Wara. The Senior producer is Joel Patterson, Michelle Pesca, CLO of Peachfish Productions. The gist is presented in collaboration with Libsyn's AdvertiseCast for advertising inquiries. Go to AdvertiseCast.com slash the gist. Oomperoo, Jeeperoo, Dooperoo, and thanks for listening.